Is that really in the Bible? Well, we were all born into a ready-made world of religion. I, uh, I don't think any of us ever questioned it. We, we assume the traditions around us come uh, straight from the Bible. Most people are educated by the Bible, by what they've been told by others. My minister said so. It's the greatest authority they have. Uh, they wholeheartedly put their trust in another's opinion about the Bible. Well, in seminary school, a man or woman is taught a theology about the Bible. It's a uh, set of beliefs that the student assumes is right. We never ask the question, what if there is some error in the things I've been taught about God? And the real problem is, these errors are passed on to the congregation as absolute truth. Hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Just recently, I was looking on the internet, and the question I had was, what does the Bible teach about the Trinity? And that's one of the things I typed in, and one of the headlines that came up was that title, What Does the Bible Teach About the Trinity? The answer was disturbing. The answer said this. It says, the most difficult thing about the con Christian concept of the Trinity is that there is no way to perfectly and completely understand it. The Trinity is a concept that is impossible for any human being to fully explain, let alone understand. Okay, so that presents a conundrum. We can't understand God, we can't explain it, we don't, you know, we just, we can't. Keep in mind when studying, continue to quote here, keep in mind when studying the, the subject of the Trinity that the Word is not found in the Bible. Now that's a true statement, the Word is not found in the Bible. And one of the tests that I always use to prove the validity of a concept, a doctrine, is if it's important to God, you will find the word in the Bible. So the words like Trinity, nowhere in the Bible, Christmas, nowhere in the Bible, Sunday keeping, not in the Bible, rapture, not in the Bible. But my point is, if it's important to God, you will find the word in the Bible. That's a rule that I always go by. And so things that are not, actually words that are not there, you know, how much, you know, trust or how much faith are you going to put in just concepts made up by men? Well, you shouldn't put a lot of trust and faith in those concepts. So again, if it's important to God, the concept, you will find the word in the Bible. It goes on to say this, uh, explaining the Trinity, it says, God is infinitely greater than we are. <clears throat> Therefore, we should not expect to be able to fully understand him. So my question is this, if I wanted to understand God, where would I go? Would I go to an explanation of the Trinity that says we can't understand? Man, is, it's impossible for man to fully understand? Is that where I would go? Would I go to the Athanasian Creed, which is really an explanation of the Trinity? Uh, let me read parts of this Athanasian Creed for you. It says, whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Now that gives you a clue as where the concept of the Trinity came from. Which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt he shall perish everlasting. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in uni unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance, 
That makes a lot of sense, does it not? And uh, <clears throat> neither uh, confounding the person nor dividing the substance. Okay, I already said that. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. Uh, such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Spirit, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. Do you know what that word means? Incomprehensible. It means you can't get it. You can't understand it. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet there are not three eternals but one. Uh, as also there are not three uncreated nor three incomprehensible, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible, uncomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, and the Holy Spirit Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three Lords, but one Lord. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not th three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after other, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together, co-equal, so that in all things as before said, the unity is Trinity and the Trinity is unity is to be worshiped. <clears throat> he therefore that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity. Now this is amazing, amazing. In order to be saved, you got to believe this, and you got to think like this. Now, did you get it? Did that help you understand God? What God is doing through mankind, who God is, did any of that help you understand God? No, no, it didn't help you a bit. You know, someone once said that the Western mind explains everything and understands nothing, and that is so true when it comes to religion. We explain everything. The scholars explain everything and they understand nothing. That is so true when it comes to religion. Now what is interesting about this is that the Trinity really is the litmus test to prove whether you are a real Christian. Oh yeah, a lot of colleges, uh, Christian colleges, a lot of Christian schools, a lot of insurance plan like um, some of these Christian insurance plans, I can't think of the name of one right off the top of my head. but. Uh, one of their litmus tests is you've got to believe in the Trinity. They will ask you, do you believe in the Trinity? So really the Trinity is like the, the ultimate test to prove whether you are a Christian or not. And again, I'm asking the question, do you understand what I just read about the explanation, the Athanasian Creed and the explanation of the Trinity? We've just read, you know, that, or I just read on the internet that it's, it's a confession that you, no one can really understand the Trinity. No one can really explain it. It's impossible for us to get it. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Long ago, the church changed its theology from God is a family to God is a Trinity. The correct way to look at God is that God is a family. Now, uh, now before I get into this, I want to explain a verse here that a lot of people use to prove the Trinity. 1 John 5 and verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now what you need to know about this scripture is this. Um, Clark's commentary says this. It says, It is likely this verse is not genuine. Speaking of 1 John 
5 and verse 7, the verse that we just read that says the, there are three that bear a record and these three are one. Okay, Clark's commentary says it's likely that this verse is not genuine. genuine. It is wanting in all the original manuscripts before the invention of the printing press. There is one exception, the Codex um, <coughs> Monfordi in the Trinity College, but the others which omit this verse amounts to 112. Get this, 112 original manuscripts don't have this verse. It is wanting in both Syriac and all the Arabic, Ethiopic, and Coptic, and it continues on the list of different, you know. Many of the most ancient and correct manuscripts have it not. It is wanting also in all the ancient Greek fathers and in most of the Latin. This verse is not there. Now, you know, if you can look this up for yourself. Just look at some of the commentaries like Clark's, uh, Gill's, Jamison, Fawcett, and Brown. Or you can just go on the internet and type in the authenticity of 1 John 5 and verse 7. And you'll get a lot of information about how this verse is not in the original manuscripts. Now, you might ask the question, well, how could that happen? How could, you know, in the King James, now keep in mind, the King James translation was translated into English around 1600. Uh, and it was heavily under, by that time, I should say, by that time, it was heavily under the influence of the Catholic Church. And that's how words like Easter, how the word from Passover was changed to Easter, Easter, that's how that happened. Because the King James writers were heavily influenced by the Catholic Church. And this is a, the Trinity is a Catholic concept. And so it was added, but it's not in the original manuscript. You need to know this when it comes to studying your Bible. Now, my question today I want to deal with is this. How can a person truly come to understand what God is doing? How can a person understand the nature of God? Now, do you study the Trinity to figure out what God is doing? No, no. The fact is God is a family and God is in the process of creating a family. Let those words sink deep into your ears. Here it is. God is a family and God is in the process of creating a family. That's how you come to understand God and what God is doing. Now let's pretend that you're God and you've got a problem. And the problem is this. How will I reveal myself to mankind? Okay, that's your problem. Now, let's take a look at how the Bible tells us that God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. It's found in Romans 1 and verse 20. Romans 1 and verse 20. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now, let me say something here. It is the invisible things of God that gives us such a fit. I can't see God, I can't feel God, I can't touch God, I can't hear God. You know, we operate in a different, we, and we operate through our five senses. God is on a different dimension. He's in a different dimension, a spiritual dimension. So the invisible things of God is what gives us such a fit. The fact that I can't see God, I can't hear God, I can't touch God. But let's continue on here in this verse. It says, 
it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So how do we understand God? We look at the things that are made. So God comes along, he says, okay, I'm gonna to have to communicate with man on his level. So I'm gonna reveal myself to mankind by the things that I have made. How will I reveal myself to mankind? By the things that are made, the things that I have created. We're talking about creation. We're talking about getting outside, get out of the city, you know, get into the country. Uh, look at the things that God has made. Now, here it is again. God is a family and God is creating a family. Now, why would I say God is a family? Well, the word God in your Bible is Elohim. It's plural. The word is plural. It means gods. It means more than one. Now, how could that be? Okay, let's look at Genesis 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, obviously, God is not speaking to himself. God is not running around, you know, speaking, let us make man in our image. No, it, we're talking about the father and son are communicating one to another. Father and son. That's a family term, by the way. Father and son. Family. Okay. And they're saying, let us, me and you, create man in our image and after our likeness. Okay. Uh, continuing on, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Again, God is a family and God is creating a family. He said, we're going to create man and woman in our image and they're going to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Why? Well, to have children, yes, to replenish the earth, but you got to stick to the concept, God is creating a family. Father and son, we're going to create a family. Father and son are family terms. So I'm going to reveal myself to mankind by the things that are made. All right, just look at the things that are made. Look at the animal kingdom. What do you see? You see male and female. Uh, kind reproduces after its own kind. You look at a family of deer. What do you see? Turkeys. Some, you know, what do you see when you see a bunch of turkeys running across the road? Well, you usually see, you know, male and female. Uh, not always, but he's out there, you know. And uh, they have their little children. Uh, <clears throat> some animals mate for life. The term that God has chosen to reveal himself is found in one word, family. God is a family and God is creating a family. I'll never forget the time that I was watching this special on TV and it was a, the male spores from, a, I think, a pine tree. At the moment it released its you know, uh, seed into the air or whatever. And I, you know, I looked at that and I thought, well, what do you know? Trees reproduce after their own kind. It's, it's everything. You understand God by the things that are made. 
okay? What you look at when you see creation is everything reproduces after its own kind. Human beings reproduce after the human kind. You know, pigs, uh, cats, dogs, they reproduce after their kind. God is a family and God is creating a family. God is in the process of creating after his own kind. Don't let that statement slip by you, by the way. God is in the process of creating after his own kind. What kind? Well, God is of the God kind, okay? God is a family. The word God is Elohim. It's plural, more than one. He's creating children after his own kind. Let's take a look at this verse. <laughs> this is a powerful concept here. 1 John 3 and verse 2. 1 John 3 and verse 2. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. No, notice this. We're referred to right now as sons of God. What is that? That's family, okay? But it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, resurrection, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Man. You know, we're going to be changed into a being, spirit, like God is. We're going to see him as he is. We're, at that moment, we will become sons, daughters of the God kind to enter into the family of God. Now, I want to offer you something that is powerful. It's entitled, Man, God's Destiny Child. You need this information. If you want to understand what God is doing through mankind, you need this, this publication. Man, God's destiny child. It's a, it's, it, it's a concept, it's a truth found in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation that I don't know how people have overlooked it, but what God is doing through mankind. God is creating a family. Okay, you need this. It's free of charge. I'll send it to you, free of charge. I won't charge you. You know, you're not going to be charged. It's free, okay? It's free. Not going to sell your name to a mailing list. Be sure and order this material. It is powerful. So, this verse says, we shall be like him. What does that mean, to be like God? This is not some Betty by story of Christian retirement. God is a family. There are two members in that family right now father and son. You know, when God knelt down, the family of God, father and son, and they knelt down and they molded this clay image, they sculptured this clay image that was shaped out of the dust of the earth, mud, and it looked like mankind, and they breathed into its nostrils the breath of life, the spirit of God. Their plan at that point was to expand their family by millions of children of God. Now, what does it mean, a family? You know, I belong, I am a freeman, I, I have a family. If you were to see my family, you would see not just me, but you would see my wife, you would see my daughter. And uh, it's, right now, there's, you know, there's three in our family. But we're one family, and that name goes by Freeman. Okay, God is a family. And right now, the God family has two members in it, father and son. But he's going to expand that family by millions. God is in the process 
of creating a much larger family, sons and daughters of God. You need this publication to understand what I'm telling you. It is the most powerful, mind-blowing concept you will ever read of. It is, and it's in your Bible from Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation, what God is doing through mankind. Your purpose, your reason for being here goes way beyond any Christian concept that you've been taught about heavenly retirement. That when your life is over, what you get to look forward to is retiring in heaven. No, that's a false doctrine. That's a false doctrine. You need this publication. All of this, and of course, the family, becoming part of God's family, all of this is possible through the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the seed that germinates. It's like God's spiritual DNA that you can receive at baptism. You see, baptism is a moment of conception. It's when you become impregnated with the Spirit of God. And there are some analogies here. You know, when man and woman come together in love, in marriage, and, you know, a male sperm cell unites with a female ovum, and, and a new life is struck. You know, a new creature, a new life is struck inside of the woman. And for nine months, the, the woman cherishes, she protects this thing that is developing inside of her, but eventually it's going to be born into the world. Well, there's a, there's a concept about the family of God, being born into the family of God. When you receive the Spirit of God, you have been God's spiritual DNA. You have been impregnated with the Spirit of God at baptism. And that new creature in Christ grows either until you die or until Christ returns. And at Christ's return, when He returns, it's going to be born, that new creature in Christ is going to be born into the family of God. Again, you need this publication. God, man, God's destiny child, to understand what God is doing through mankind. Be sure and order that, and I'll send it to you free of charge. Now let's notice 1 John 3 and verse 9. It tells us about a future event. Event. It says, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now, here's the thing. You're going to be born into the family of God at the resurrection. You're not yet born into the family. You've been begotten by the Spirit of God, if you have the Spirit of God, if you've gone down in the waters of baptism, if you repented of your sin, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've been begotten by the Spirit of God. You've been impregnated. You've been given God's spiritual DNA that is working inside of you. But when this time comes and you're born into that family, it's not going to be possible for you to commit sin. And that's a good thing. But notice it says, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. When that change takes place at the resurrection, when you're changed from what you are now, flesh to spirit, born into God's family, it will be impossible for you to commit sin. You no longer will the flesh drag you down if you know what I mean. I'm sure you do know, you know what I mean when I say the flesh drags us down. It wears out. It gets old. It hurts. You got aches and pains. Then you got all the temptation that comes with the flesh. Okay. That won't be a problem when you're born into the family of God at the resurrection, at the return of Christ. Ephesians 3 and verse 14 
This is a powerful verse here. It says, for, for this cause I bow my knees. In other words, this brings me to my knees is what Paul is saying. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is a family. God is creating a much larger family. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory and to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to understand. I want you to understand what God is doing through mankind. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. What is, what is Paul talking about? He's saying, I want you to grasp what God is doing through mankind. I want it to enter your head. I want you to grasp what is the length, the depth, the height of what God is doing through mankind. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to me. Your destiny is to be born into the family of God, to become children of God, sons and daughters of God. That is your destiny. And it's an incredible, awe-inspiring destiny. When you understand this, you don't just live your life any old way. You don't just go along, go around, you know, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? I don't know. I'm just here to take up space, I guess. I'm just here to irritate other people. I'm just here to bother other people. I'm just here to complain all the time. I'm just here. I'm just getting by in life. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my goal. I don't know what the meaning of life is. Listen, if you don't know who and what is God, if you don't know who and what is man, if you don't know why you're, you've been born, you know, the two most important days of your life is the day that you were born and the day you figure out why. Okay? And it's time you figure out why you were born, why you were put here. And this publication will answer that question. You will be amazed. You won't believe what you're reading here. It's hard to believe. It really is. But it's, but it's been there for 6,000 years in the pages of your Bible. Let us create man in our image and in our likeness. God is a family. The word is Elohim, more than one. Let us, father and son, that's a family term, create man and woman in our image and after our likeness. That's what God is up to. Listen, mankind is truly God's destiny child. And that's what's really in your Bible. The Bible reveals that we were born for a tremendous, awe-inspiring purpose. But few really understand what that purpose is. What God is doing through mankind is revealed at the very beginning of your Bible. Let us create man in our image and after our likeness. To fully understand God's glorious purpose for mankind, order your free copy of Man, God's Destiny Child. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 
24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.com.